And today's Palm Sunday. Did you know that? This is the week before Easter, right? So it's Palm Sunday. This is huge celebration time of who Jesus Christ is. If you take a look back a couple thousand years to what was going on this week, this was Christ getting ready to come into the city where he was going to give up his life for us, him for me, praise be to God. And uh, this is the beginning of that week, Palm Sunday, massive celebration, massive worship, and, and uh, still a lot of clueless people. And they didn't quite get what was going on. And uh, you know what? Praise God. We get to see from his scripture exactly who he is. Here's my prayer. May we launch this week. Ready? May we launch this week into some huge personal worship of our God. And all of God's people said, let's get after it this week. Lord, wake me up right here, right now. I'm ready to learn to worship you. All right? So do this with me. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. John 12, starting in verse 12. We got some notes in the bulletin there. If you want to follow along, you can take notes in that. And uh, we're going to walk verse by verse through this. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And uh, the first point, join the worship. It was planned from eternity past. Uh, Join the worship. It was planned from eternity past. Man, don't miss out. Join the worship right? So here we go. Let's just start reading in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. We'll just stop there for right now. He starts out the next day. And uh, you know how we handle this, right? Every time we start into a passage, there's usually these connecting phrases. And like, what does that mean? What was going on before it? Well, the day before it, Uh, Jesus was hanging out in Bethany. He was with Mary. They were spending some time, he and the disciples. Mary comes running up, ends up dumping this perfume, this oil or ointment on his feet. It had this huge um, odor to it, this strong uh, fragrance and smell. And it was a very expensive, very expensive ointment. And uh, as she lavished this on him, one of the disciples ends up going, oh, come on. That's my words, but basically that. He was like, come on, what's with that? This is a waste of money. And uh, yeah, that disciple was Judas. Shows where his heart was, right? Not in the worship of Jesus Christ, in the money. He was the guy who handled the money, and he got all uptight about some money being wasted. Why are we pouring this lavish ointment out? Sell it, get the cash, and do something better with it. Something better than worshiping Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, the creator of all things. Uh, Everybody just say, he missed it. He missed it, man. That's what was going on, is that that big moment took place, and then right after it, it says, and then they were pursuing to kill Lazarus. Why? Well, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, 
And it's kind of a bummer when you're trying to make little of Jesus Christ and there's a guy walking around who was dead a few days ago and now he's not, right? It's kind of hard to sell. There's nothing big with that guy. And so they started to get a little fed up with this whole Lazarus. So they actually came up with this plan. Let's just kill him. Let's just take his life again. That'll fix it. And uh, everybody say, that's a bad plan. Like, what in the world? You are completely missing the miracles going on. You are completely missing the worship taking place. And that's what had been taking place. It says, the next day, that's where we're picking up now. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, uh, that's the feast of the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The feast of the Passover, let's not forget what this was now, right? So they're sitting at the time of Christ, around 30, 33 AD, somewhere right in that era, and you look back a good number of years, hundreds and hundreds of years back to the time of the Exodus when, when Israel was trapped as slaves in Egypt. And as they were brought out, that was called the Passover. Why? Because there was a fair warning that the firstborn in each family, their life would be taken unless you had the blood painted on the doorpost for Passover. Pass over this house, okay? And so the blood on the doorpost, everybody say that's a type. Okay, so we've heard that word a couple times in the last few weeks. And this is all about way back then at the time of the Exodus. Hear me, I am your God. I will save you. And blood will be at the center of that salvation. And so he's painting blood on the doorpost there for physical salvation out of Egypt. And now as Jesus Christ is coming in at Passover, everybody say that's a big deal. He's now saying that was the lamb's blood on the doorpost. Behold, I will be the lamb of God and my blood for you. That's what Jesus is saying. As he's coming in, getting ready this day and it's Passover feast and they're all thinking God and salvation, and lamb's blood, and Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God. And all of God's people said, and that's who we're talking about here. It says that uh, as the large crowd had come together for the feast, see, they gathered together every year for Passover. And we can't miss that. They weren't gathering together just for Jesus. Don't miss that. This was all about every year, annual feast, celebration, Passover. You came from all over the place. In fact, they called them pilgrims, people that would travel to come to the town for that week for that celebration. And so a large crowd was gathering in order to get ready to celebrate their God who brings salvation physically to Egypt back then and to their nation of Israel but now also their hope forward for salvation as they're trapped here in this Roman rule, no kingship of their own, and Lord, we're longing for you. And they're rallying together. It says the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. It doesn't really say how that came down, but you got to imagine a bunch of people rallying together and they're all standing around waiting for the Passover and you ain't got much to do. So you start chit-chatting. And you start spreading a little bit of gossip, right? And all of a sudden, somebody comes in with a big, juicy piece of gossip. Dude, I was just over in Bethany, and I heard that Jesus, that guy who's doing the miracles, the one where Lazarus was raised, he's coming here, man. 
He's coming here. And all of a sudden, it starts ripping through the crowd. And they start sharing it with each other. And they start getting all excited that this guy, and uh, that's the best they had a thought of him at the time. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. That this guy who God was using to do some miracles was coming. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Because that's what we all do when we have guests coming to our house. Right? What's up with that? What's going on? And uh, so just so you know, the palm branch was a symbol of a few things. It was a symbol of goodness. It was a symbol of life. It was a symbol of blessing. In fact, they put the palm branch as a symbol on their coins. They put it even on the walls. They painted it as a symbol to remember. The palm branch was something that meant life. Why? Well, they're not exactly sure, but here's one good reason. As you're wandering through the massive, arid desert and rock, all of a sudden, here's this big tree that sprouts up with branches out, and it's like a little mini oasis, and it represents life in the middle of barrenness, right? The palm branches, they represented goodness in the midst of this broken world, blessing in the midst of the hurt, God at work in the midst of this barren desert, and uh, palm branches. They were a huge uh, symbol of goodness and blessing. But it was more than that. I didn't know this, and uh, just doing a little bit of reading, they said every year as the uh, pilgrims, as the travelers coming in for Passover came into the town, uh, the city, the Jerusalem Jews, would run out, and they would do this every year. They would lay down palm branches for the pilgrims, saying the goodness of God and the life from God. And then they would talk and they would sing some songs and some of the songs they sing we're actually going to hear right here. It says they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, those words come right out of Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. You might want to write that down, Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. And they called it the Hallel, the worship, the praise, the Hallel. And uh, this was a song that they sang every year. This was a song that was sung as the pilgrims traveled. They cried out, Hosanna! It means save us! See, as they're traveling over to Passover, and they're remembering the exodus and the salvation that occurred there, they're now crying out, Lord, save us again. And uh, we, your nation Israel, we're under Roman rule, and we love to be out from under. Lord, come save us. They were thinking very physically, and they were thinking very uh, physical kingship throne when they were saying these things, and uh, everybody say they were missing it. They were missing it, okay? It was so much more than that. Jesus Christ, Messiah, not coming to just fix a physical problem, but also a spiritual problem for all of eternity, and all of God's people said, we better grasp that. So much more in mind than what they had in mind. And uh, so the symbol of goodness and wealth and victory, they were laying this down on the streets and they were having people come through. That was year after year as they kind of celebrated the travelers and pilgrims coming in and welcoming them to the city. How much more would we want to welcome this good guy, this maybe even prophet who's doing some miracles in the name of God and, and uh, let's go welcome him. And so they took the branches of the palm trees. They went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word comes there. Huge word. 
We're going to get to it in just a second as we see another piece come up. And, uh, but it's a big deal. Coming in. Coming here. And uh, hang on, we're going to see that word come again in just a second. And uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Getting a little hope up here, man. And uh, they're starting to celebrate the king of Israel. And, and, and maybe this is the guy. And maybe not. Maybe somebody else will be the guy. But Lord, bring him. Save us. And uh, they're just celebrating and they're looking for God to bring some level of salvation. It says then, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Um, Now, some of you know the story well. And the way the story goes in several other passages, in fact, this is found in all four Gospels. I just wrote down, it's in John 12, that's the one we're in. It's also in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the same story, this triumphal entry. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. It's also in Luke 19, uh, 28 through 44. So Luke 19, and it's also in Mark 11, 1 through 10. It's in all four Gospels, this story's recorded. And in fact, with a little bit of, um, you get extra information and little side pieces of insight from each guy. So it's great to read all four of them. If you notice, our reading plan this past week was walking through all of them so that you could get the feel of all that was going on. The order that you notice actually happening, like Luke has this very rigid order. Luke's the doctor. He loves being very detailed and structured in what's being delivered up. And he was like, so just so you know, what happened is first... Jesus is back there at Bethphage up on the top of the mountain in Mount of Olives. And he's like, hey, disciples, it's time for me to go into Jerusalem. And I'm going to go in riding on a colt, a young donkey. So you, you need to go down and get the colt. There's going to be one tied up there. You go get that colt. Bring it back up. We see in one of the other passages it says, by the way, if anybody asks you, just say it's for the Lord. Okay? And, And they'll let you go. They'll let you have it. And so they went in, and they found a colt tied up, and so they went to take the colt. And somebody's like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, it's for the Lord. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Jesus knew what he was doing. And uh, what does that mean? How did that guy give it up? Does he know who Jesus is, and he thinks he's God? And, and, well, probably not. We're going to see that in just a second in the passage here. Probably it's something more like what we see in Mark, where he gives us a little extra phrase that he added on. We'll bring it right back. That was said in Mark. So there's actually a promise of bringing the colt back. And they're like, yeah, you better. And then they let him go with the colt. And so he takes off with this colt and they take it back up to Jesus. Now Jesus is riding in on the colt. And so the order was actually colt first. And then the people come running out with the palm branches and laying them down. So what's with John's order here? Well, let's just notice something. This word and at the beginning of verse uh, 16 here. And, or I'm sorry, 14 where it says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. That is not the same word and that you see in a lot of narratives. It's not the connecting word that's like, and then, where it's starting to say a linear flow of things. It's not that word. Everybody say, it's not that word. It's not that word. It's a different word. It means, oh, oh, also, that's what it means. So it's like different parts of the story going on. He's not trying to tie them together linearly. This is an also statement, okay? Also, Uh, Jesus found a young donkey. He doesn't even go into the story of how. He's like, I don't care how. But it turns out he sent the disciples. There was all this detail and the disciples knew what was going on and they talked to the other guy and they they brought the donkey back and whatever. He found it, okay? And he's like, that's the part I want to tell you. This is the big deal. Check this. John starts with, let's just start this story with some people that were quite a bit clueless. 
but they came out to welcome Jesus. They were thinking some things, but they didn't quite know what things. Clueless crowd. Now let's start moving to the big point that was actually taking place. See, that's how John's flowing in this story. And he's like, now also, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Why is that important? Because it says, just as it is written, we now have fulfillment of prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 here, it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. There was a quote stated in the Old Testament like, check this out, man. You are going to know when the Messiah is coming in because he'll be entering into the city on a donkey's colt. Don't fear, just behold. What does that word mean? Check it out. Just check it out. Look, your king is coming. Not a king, your king. This is a huge moment of fulfillment of prophecy, hope that had been given from hundreds of years prior. And he's like, just so you know the big deal of this, Jesus fully understanding what's going on. The others not quite getting it, but he's coming in on a donkey's colt, actually doing the declaration of, I am your king. That's what's going on. All right. Notice it says sitting on a donkey's colt. Why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because that word, the colt, when you came in on the colt, you were declaring this, peace. I'm coming in in peace. See, if you were coming in in victory or war that had just turned to victory, you would come riding in on a white horse, a big, huge white steed that you would be riding in on, and you can just see it, and some of you have seen the movies where the, the horse is like half riding sideways because you're trying to hold them back, and you can hear the clop of their hooves on whatever stone it's hitting, and you can see the breath and the king riding on that horse like, we have conquered victory. That's coming in on the white horse. He's coming in on a donkey. In fact, a donkey's colt, little in peace is what that means. When you rode in on a cult, you were declaring peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what's going on. He's like, I am going to the cross and I am ushering in peace. Peace for all eternity. That's what this is about. The Messiah right before you bringing peace comes in on this little cult. Now, let's not miss it. Check two words there. They're in the command form. It says, fear not, behold. Have you ever noticed how those two always go together in life? When you actually behold your God, your fears start to subside. When you literally grasp who he is and who's in charge and how great he is, behold your God. Fears start coming down. The more we fear, the more we are staring at the circumstance and making it the thing. You are beholding the wrong thing, and fears start rising up, right? And he's like, get your eyes on your God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your good faith. Watch him work. Behold your king, and fear not. And what are you going through? today or this week? What is distracting you and pulling your eyes off of your king? 
what makes you well up with a little bit of nervousness or maybe even a lot and start to fear. Time to behold your king. Time right now to consider whatever that is that's distracting you and begin to hand that to him. I'm watching you, God. I'm not watching this circumstance anymore. I'm watching you. May you move in my life. Fear not. Behold. Now, I just want to say this. Check this out. This is the triumphal entry, and I'll say this. It's the first triumphal entry for Jesus Christ. He's coming in on the cult. He's ushering in peace. There is a second triumphal entry, and we've missed this one. This one happened. We get to read about it. We get to see some observation of it. But the next one, dude, we're going to be a part of. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the next triumphal entry, Revelation chapter 19. As Jesus Christ climbs on a white horse, baby, and he is coming in with victory. This is Jesus Christ, man, as he mounts up and he comes in on a steed that says, Victory! I lead you, I rule, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is time for this to be done. And his spoken word puts it all into place. I'm just telling you, that's the triumphal entry these guys were looking for. They were looking for Revelation 19, but they got John 12. And they're like, I don't know if I get it. Right? Just know this, we get to be a part of that second triumphal entry. Our God has it in hand, and all of God's people said, and he will be ushering in utter victory. And we'll be a part of it riding along, seeing it all take place as he rules over all. This, this is where he's making a sacrifice for us, all right? And uh, so it says, behold your king sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. And uh, not making it up, says it right here. They're like, I don't get what he's doing. I don't even understand. Some have actually taught when they teach the triumphal entry. Well, they understood the whole cult thing. It was so important. Like it was this long-term statement. And we see here it's a prophecy about the Messiah. So they knew when he said, get the cult, they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And I'm not sure, man. John's like, yeah, the disciples did not understand it. Remember, John's one of the disciples. He's like, those disciples didn't understand it. I was included in that. I didn't understand it. I didn't really put it all together. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Once Jesus took on this glorified body after the death, after the resurrection, they're seeing him with the full ascension. They grasp who he is in full glory. Now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit with them, teaching them, training them, informing them, reminding them. And they're like, it was written about him. Everybody say that's important. God had a plan from eternity past, and he wrote it out. He revealed it to man. It was written about him, but more than that, it all came true. And their jaws dropped. Can you imagine those conversations? After Christ's glorification, as they're beginning to process things, and they're like, could this mean? Could it be that? And every one of them coming up, do you remember when he, dude, was that like Zechariah 9-9 right in front of us? And right, all of those things unfolding and them starting to get it. 
more and more. And uh, they were right in the middle of it and missed some of the greatness of it. And I'm just telling you, we miss so much when we do not understand who Jesus Christ is. That's the simplest way I can say it. We miss so much when we do not understand who Jesus Christ is. So let me just say it in one sentence. Jesus Christ, he is creator of the universe. He is sustainer and provider. He is redeemer. He is Lord of lords. He is king of kings. He has died for us and risen for us. He is God almighty. That's who Jesus Christ is. And all of God's people said, amen. So this past week, um, we had baptisms, right, last Sunday. We had 54 baptisms and some great celebration time as people were standing up and saying, I'm trusting in Christ as Savior. And uh, I got an email the next day, and uh, this person said, you know, I'm just asking for a little help. I heard the baptism testimonies, and, and I understand, and I can see there's this great joy and this calm and this peace and this, but I don't have that, and I, and I don't get what I'm missing. Like, I don't understand what it takes, and can you please meet with me and help me? I need to know what it is to have Jesus as a part of my life, and how does he end up in my heart, and how do I get peace and joy? I don't get how to do that, and uh, that's a softball pitch, right? Those are the nice, easy ones where you're like, yeah, this is great. And so we set up, we met on Thursday, and we had a great little talk. And as we chatted through things, and we just walked through the gospel message, just to be clear, right? And uh, Romans 3.10, and nobody's perfect. None of us, right? In Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. That term sinned, like we shot an air ball, or we missed the mark. We missed the bullseye. We missed the outer ring. We missed everything. We came up short. It's an archery term. It means you missed everything. It's March Madness time, so air ball is a great example, right? And uh, how many points is an air ball worth? Uh, zero, right? And it's like Romans 3.23, we got zero points on the board. That's where we're at. And uh, what's the penalty or payment for that? Romans 6.23, the payment of that is death, both physical and spiritual, eternal separation from our God, death. And uh, it's a huge deal, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, we don't do anything to earn a gift. Gifts are given. And uh, this gift handed over, not because we've done some good, not because we've earned in any way, but because of who he is, he offered it across. And we walked through all that. She's like, yeah, I get that. I said, okay. So we went Romans 10, 9, and 10. Believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Confess him as your Lord. She's like, yeah, I believe he's risen from the dead. I'm like, great. And do you confess him as your Lord? He's in charge of everything. Be in charge of me. Um, I, I don't think so. I'm like, okay. Can I ask you why? And she started to smile a little bit. And I just said, is this like, if I say he's in charge, now I have to listen? Is it like that? And she's like, uh, no. No, it's not. It's how can a person be in charge of the universe? Let it settle. I'm like, okay. How about if we do this? Let's look at who Jesus Christ is. So we went to Philippians 2. It says, who being in very nature God, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, humbled himself and became a man. Like him being a man, yes, he is a man, but it said he took on human likeness. Yes, he is man, but he's so much more. Fully man, yes, fully God. And we have to grasp that. 
He was God from eternity past, and he broke into our world taking on flesh, fully God, fully man, that is Jesus Christ. And uh, and he humbled himself unto death for us, him for me. And uh, her words were, oh, oh, I think I'm getting a little of this. I said, like, he is God before he was ever man, right? We walked through that. Then we went Colossians 1. This is who Jesus Christ is. And man, it is unbelievable, starting in verse 16, right? He is the creator of everything. Did you know that? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Colossians 1, Jesus created. And it says, for by him, by Jesus Christ, and for him, all things were created. This physical world created by him and for him. And all of God's people said, do not miss that. Jesus Christ is creator of everything we know physically. That's who he is, Jesus Christ. And he is God of all creator and sustainer and provider. And then it went on to say, and he went to the cross in his blood for us. And your question was, was he made to do that? Did he want to do that? What a sweet question. Get back to Philippians 2 where it said that he humbled himself. He humbled himself. John three sixteen. for God so loved you. And when we got done with that, I just said, look, this is who Jesus Christ is. So now I have a question for you. Do you believe that he was risen from the dead? Yeah, I do. Do you confess him as your Lord? And her eyes filled with tears and she goes, you know what? I, I do. Like, I, I do. I'm good with that. And I said, oh, okay, how about this? Why don't we just tell him right here and right now that you're in? You are so believing that he's risen. You are so confessing him as Lord. You are in. What do you think? She's like, that sounds great. And right then and there, she just told the Lord, you are in charge of my life. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. You're amazing. Praise be to God. Dude, that is saved. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Do not lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. It changes everything. He's not just some guy. He's not just some guy who died. He's not just some guy who died and rose again. He is the creator of the universe, God Almighty. He sustains it all, keeps it as it is. He is restoring back. He is king. That's who he is. Question, are you joining in that worship? Are you with him? Do you get who he is? Are you giving him your all? And do you believe that he has risen from the dead? And are you confessing you are Lord of my life and of this world? You are in charge. Please take over. Scripture says that is saved. All right? Make sure that you're joining in the worship of the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise be to God. There's no greater worship than actually letting him be in charge of your life. That is true worship, all right? Point number two, celebrate. Celebrate his authority and power. Do not deny Jesus the preeminence in your life. Celebrate his authority and power. Do not deny Jesus the preeminence in your life. All right, we'll start here. It says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead 
continued to bear witness. I love this. This whole Lazarus thing, man, it really meant a lot to John as he saw how God used Lazarus and the raising from the dead. And he's like, the crowd that had been there when they saw Lazarus called out of the tomb. Can you imagine that moment? Lazarus is sick. People are praying and they're moaning and they're wanting and they're hoping that Jesus gets here in time to heal him from this sickness. And then Lazarus dies. And days later, Jesus shows up and they're like, if, if, if you'd only been here when. So what are they saying? We know you have power to heal the sickness thing, but clearly death is too much. Right? And uh, the crowd was standing there as Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And uh, all of a sudden, he comes walking out alive. Can you imagine? As Jesus is like, Lazarus, come out. And you're like, <laughs> right? I mean, they're not sitting there going, this is really probably going to come down. No, they're like, oh my word, he's lost it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Lazarus comes walking out and you're like, dude. Oh, that's Lazarus. And then he takes off what he's been wearing, whatever clothing, whatever cloth they wrapped him in, and Lazarus is standing before them laughing and talking and sharing and telling. And yeah, that's the crowd we're talking about. The crowd that was standing there for that and went, uh, I'm telling a few people about this one right now. And they're going home, right? Dude, you should have seen what I saw. Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead, come on. Raised from the, come here, come with me, right? That's what was going on. And they're bringing him back. How many times do you tell that story? Not just once, right? And so it says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. In fact, in the Greek here, this is in this ongoing form. It's called the imperfect form. It means it was happening and happening and happening, and happening. The best way we could do it in English is to throw the word continued on it to try to get the point across. This just kept going on. The buzz and the stir about the authority over death was just ripping through the crowd. This guy's got something going on, and we're not sure what, but I'm telling you, Lazarus is alive, and you cannot argue with that. And they just continue to bear witness. Isn't that so easy to bear witness to? Look, dude, I don't care. I don't, I don't want to argue with about who Jesus is. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to say these two words. Lazarus, alive. You deal with that. Let me introduce you, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. Huge testimony to God at work in the world. And uh, question, how's God at work in your world? What's God doing in your life? It may not be a resurrection. That's a big deal. What's God doing? Where are you seeing him at work? Where are you learning about him and his greatness? What do you know of him? Get rocked by your king. Behold your God. Remember the words we talked through, right? Encounter him in the word and then exalt him with all you've got. What do we do as we exalt him? We behold him. Lord, you're unbelievable. We thank him and we praise him as we raise our hands to him and celebrate him. Behold him. Drop your arms and be still before him. Worship him. Spend time with your God. And man, as you get that experiential thing going and you've 
had God teaching you and showing you and changing you, you have story to tell. Make sure it's like this, continuing nonstop, revealing what God's doing in your life and uh, sharing with those around you. We have a sweet privilege of being a testimony to our God at work. And, uh, let him work. Worship him big. And make sure you tell others about it. All right? It says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. Are you hearing that? It does not say the reason why the crowd went to meet him is because they knew he was the God of the universe. Everybody say it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The reason why they went to meet him was because they knew that he was at least Messiah. It doesn't say that. Just say that. Say it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The reason why they went to meet him is because they heard about a sign. They heard a miracle. They heard something went down. They at least wanted to see more. They weren't sure what it was all about. They weren't totally grasping who Jesus Christ was, but they heard about a pretty awesome moment. And make sure that you don't miss who Jesus Christ is. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, creator of all, redeemer and savior for me and for you. Celebrate him with all you've got. It says, so, and now it tells us what some of the people were saying there. So I just want to tell you, I wrote a few other things down from some of the other passages. From Matthew 21, verse 11, it tells us what the crowd was saying. Matthew 21, verse 11. It says, the crowd was saying, he, he's a prophet. He's a prophet from, Na- that prophet from Nazareth. You know, that guy who was telling some pretty good stuff. Who was doing a miracle here or there. He was a prophet. And um, that was the crowd talking. Everybody just say, that's a miss. I mean... Yeah, prophet and like way more, right? And uh, the Pharisees, well, they had some things to say. They had some comments. They actually turned to Jesus himself in Luke 19, verse 39. Luke 19, the Pharisees said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because as Jesus is coming in on the cult, as the crowd is crying out, Hosanna, save us. Blessed be him who's coming in the name of the Lord. As they're crying out towards Jesus, the Pharisees are standing there, protectors of the Jewish nation, and they're like, stop them from worshiping you. And uh, they're starting to see a little bit of it go awry, and they give Jesus a command. Teacher, rebuke them. Jesus answers the disciples, Luke 19, verse 40. He says, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. And I would have loved to have been there to heard that phrase said. To be next to him, I can't imagine what Jesus' voice was like. Get this. Jesus is creator of everything. He's like, these are my creation, and they are worshiping the creator. And if this creation stops, that creation will start. Do you hear me? This is right. I am to be worshipped, and my disciples will not be stopped. Worship him. And that's our call. If we don't cry out, the very stones will cry out. Jesus Christ deserves and warrants all the worship in the universe. And all of God's people said, and he's like, nope, I ain't stopping them. That's the way it goes down. And... uh Then the Pharisees said to each other, we pick it up here in John. So, the Pharisees said to one another, so just so you know, this word um, 
you see here. You see that? That actually doesn't mean you see like as in use your eyes. It means observe and think, right? Observe and think. Notice this. Be observant. They're saying it to each other. You see, you are gaining nothing. I love how John's standing from the outside and he's like, they're starting to fight with themselves. They're starting to attack each other. They're like, you're getting nowhere, man. And you're not getting anywhere either. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know what I want to do. We're not getting, you're getting nowhere, right? That's what's going back and forth as you're seeing the Pharisees fight. And John's somewhere around it. And he's like, Pharisees fighting. Write that one down, right? And uh, that's what we have going on right here. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Now they go to the actual visual word. Use your eyes. Look. Open your eyes. The world has gone after him. They're losing ground and they know it. Jesus is gaining ground. Praise be to God. And, uh, and that's worship. This moment where we're going from clueless to a little less clueless. Right? Worship. Where we're going from this is who he oh, this is who he is? Worship. The moment we're in the midst of our struggle, we start to grasp the bigness of our God. Worship. Behold him and fear not. Worship your God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Look, it comes down to this. We have a job to do. Our job is to worship the God of the universe with all we've got. Are you in? Really think it through. Are you in? Are you ready to join in this eternal call to worship and make much of Jesus Christ? And are you willing to give your all to him and set aside the circumstances that are so distracting? Are you in? It's time to worship him with all we've got. And here's the beautiful thing, man. We do this a lot around here. When we start talking about sharing your faith, please hear me. Don't just share some open rhetoric that is not based on actual life change. Don't do that. Stop. Spend some time with your God where you behold him, where you're blown away by him and have him start rocking your world and then get ready to share that out with those around you, all right? That's what it looks like to be continually sharing with those around you like they were when they saw Lazarus raised. And uh, Here's the deal. This week is a call to worship week. And we're going to end it with a couple of exclamation points, okay? A huge Good Friday service as we take time to reflect on his sacrifice for us and a massive Easter celebration as we make much of our king who is risen, who is risen from the dead indeed, our God for me. Amen? And that's going to be Easter services. I can't wait for it. Here's the thought. How about this week we become like these people in the story? We worship our God with all we've got. We're blown away with what he's doing and we just start sharing. Let's invite some people to this next week's service that God is getting ready to rock. So here's my one request. Let's not invite people that already have a church home. Good plan? Everybody good with that? They've got a church home. Let them thrive there. Let that church thrive there. But we're gonna do some inviting here. So here's what I'm gonna ask. We're gonna have the ushers come forward and we're gonna pass out some cards. Okay, and these cards have the invite information for this. My request is as we're passing out these cards, consider who. Who might God have me invite? Okay, 
And there's some great information. We made it business card style. You can just put them in your wallet or in your purse. We're going to be passing these down the row. Everybody grab a stack, all right? Everybody grab a stack in here. They're all rubber banded together. We got three for each of you. Everybody grab a stack. Who grabs a stack? Everybody grab a stack, okay? Make sure that you get these cards in hand. And as you get the cards, just start thinking, Lord, who? Who might you want me to share with? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody that you have as a friend where you're like, Lord, I just want to be real. I just want to share with them what's going on, okay? Here's my one request. Ready? I need everybody listening now. This is not some kind of gimmick thing or I just have to make a big deal out of something so I feel better about myself or let's just try to get this thing packed out here. Everybody say it's not that. This is an invite to worship Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, let's just be real about it. Whoever God has in store for you, and maybe there's one person or two people, maybe there's a a waitress that you always see and there's something you can do to invite them. And we usually have hundreds upon hundreds of people who come and visit because you guys are on fire for Jesus Christ and you share with somebody else and invite them. So I'm going to say it one more time. This is not meant for someone who already has a church home. Let them be there. Let them worship there. Let them grow there. Let their church thrive and grow. We pray and long for that. And all of God's people said, but for those who do not have a church home, for those who are looking for a place where maybe on this Easter Sunday they could grasp a little of what it's about, man, invite them to Good Friday service, to Easter Sunday morning. Come join us. We are going to lift the roof off this place on Sunday in worship of our Savior. We are going to come to grasp who he is in fullness on Friday night and all of his sacrifice. Let's make much of our God. All right? Man. Man. I'm telling you, I'm excited about it for one reason. Because Jesus Christ is so worth it. Because Jesus Christ is everything. And when we actually grasp who he is, that's the moment where we go, well, of course I'd hand that over to him. It's not all about me. It is all about him. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is in charge of this universe. He is God over all. He speaks and this place exists. He's in our presence and he holds it together. Him alone and no one else. Let us cry out or even the stones will cry out for him. He is God Almighty. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him. Let me just close with one second of prayer to our God and let's bring it in song. Father God, we love you. You are awesome. We praise you. Jesus Christ, we are in awe of you. You are our everything. You are our rock and our foundation. You are our solid ground. You give us all. Lord, we come to you and we praise you. Thank you for your word that has so revealed who you are. May this week be an unbelievable time of worship as King, as Redeemer, and Savior and Lord. It is in your mighty name I pray these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.